I'm happy to be here with you today and uh, out of the snow. Thank you for being the pew and the faithful coming to Women in the Word this morning. Turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 46. And just a reminder, you may have already heard it this morning, that our snow policy, bad weather policy for Women in the Word, is that uh, we are with Fort Worth ISD. So we had women in the word this morning because Fort Worth ISD was having school this morning. So that's how you can always know if you get on the website for Fort Worth ISD or turn on the TV. If Fort Worth ISD is going, we are happy to be going. Now Psalm 46 that we're going to have the opportunity to just uh, look at together this morning is actually a psalm that has gotten me through some very hard moments in the last couple of weeks during a family crisis. I know many of you prayed for my sweet grandbaby Aaron. I started studying the psalm a couple of months ago preparing to teach and I had no idea, although I've always loved Psalm 46, I had no idea of the strength and the courage and the confidence in God it would give me during a hard time. But he did and he prepared me by placing it in my path well before I needed its truth to stand on. And I think that we're all here this morning for that very same reason, that he's placing it in your path this morning, not for you to be frightened of what lies ahead, but for you to be confident that whatever lies ahead, you will be able to cling to your God who is faithful. After I studied Psalm 46 a couple of months ago, I looked up the word confidence because this is a psalm that is entirely about confidence in God. And the definition of confidence, you may want to jot it down on your outline there somewhere, is full trust. Full trust. It's belief in the powers, the trustworthiness or the reliability of a person or thing. And that's exactly what we're going to see in these 11 verses. We're going to see the psalmist full trust in God. His belief in the powers, the reliability, and the trustworthiness of our God. Ten years ago, I had the uh, great privilege of being on the very first team that Christ Chapel sent to Africa to really build and strengthen the church in Africa. And I went with eight women, uh, some of whom are sitting in this auditorium today, and we did a week-long conference in East Africa. And at the end of that week, uh, our hosts for the conference arranged for us to take a one-day safari in a nearby game preserve because the wildlife in Africa is unbelievable and it makes you really rest in the confidence of who God is when you see it. So we went out um, for one day in the middle of this wild game preserve. We had two African drivers that we had never met before and we actually couldn't communicate with because they spoke only Swahili. And we had been out there half a day when these two um, African drivers promptly stuck these safari vehicles into the sand up to the hubs of the wheels. And there we were, miles from nowhere, with these two little African men. Uh, it quickly became evident that they didn't really have any clue what to do. You know, one of them ran from his car to our car. They argued a little bit together. At one point, one of them picked up a stick and randomly began to bang the tire buried in the sand. And then... Finally, the driver that was with our safari vehicle um, simply ran off down the road. And the only thing he said to us as he ran off were probably his two English words, which were, stay, lions. Now, I can't, I, I can't say at that point that the definition of confidence 
full trust and belief in the powers and reliability because these gentlemen, as kind as they were, had done absolutely nothing that day. I didn't know them. Nothing they had done that morning had given me any confidence or trust in who they were. There was absolutely no reason to believe they weren't going to leave the eight of us to be eaten by the lions. Um, but as we look at Psalm 46 together, the psalmist gives us a completely different picture of who God is. And we have every reason to think that he is going to be exactly who he says he is. And that we can have that full trust and belief in the powers and the reliability uh, of who God is. Even in the very worst of times. Even amidst the lions. So let's get started. Let's look at Psalm 46. Uh, I want you to look at the superscript right there um, by the number 46. And it says, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. You know, in our first week together, Deb told us that the Psalms were actually a collection of prayers and praises. And they were written by a variety of different authors. Many, many of them were written by David. And three of the four Psalms that we've already looked at were written by David. The one that Amy did for us a few weeks ago was written by Asaph. But right here, Psalm 46 introduces us to new authorship in the book of Psalms. And that is the sons or descendants of Korah. Now, the descendants of Korah were men who were put in charge of the worship music by King David in the, in the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant first rested. And then eventually, the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, were put in charge of the worship music and the temple that was built by Solomon. Look at First Chronicles 6 with me on your verse sheet. Um, verse 22 says, The sons of Kohath, Amminadab, his son, Korah, his son. Now, the rest of that verse that I didn't include is a long genealogy of the sons of Korah. Uh, but verse 31 goes on to say, These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and they performed their service there according to their, their order. So the sons of Korah, who wrote Psalm 46, are actually responsible for 10 psalms in the book of Psalms. Um, okay, let's read verses 1 through 3 together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You know, there's oftentimes a misconception among God's people, a misconception that because we are God's people, that our lives are going to be trouble-free, that we are going to have a great health and a lot of wealth, our businesses are going to thrive, our children are going to be obedient, that we are never going to experience a down day in our life. But logic tells us that that's a false assumption. It has to tell us it's a false assumption because we are sinners saved by grace. We have a sin nature. We actually live in a fallen world. It's all around us. If you drove to church this morning on snowy roads, I heard several people tell me that they were surrounded by accidents. And one person even said, whoa, I think I scraped up my fender sliding into that 
stop sign. So we know that we live as sinners in a fallen world. So it's a false assumption that we would not experience um, trouble in our lives. The scriptures also tell us that it's a false assumption that we will not experience trouble in our life. Look at John 16:33 on your verse sheet, and this is Jesus talking. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And you know, the psalmist starts out right here by telling us that it's a false assumption that we will not have trouble in the world. Now, I would have loved it if verse 1 had said, um, God loves you and he is going to wrap you in bubble wrap and carry you around with him and you are never going to experience a difficulty in your life. But actually, I think he says something better to us right here off the bat. What he says to us is that in a troubled, fallen world, we are never for a moment going to be without the actual presence of the living God. Instead, he says that our God is ever present in our times of trouble. Not just present, but very present. Our God is not sitting on the sidelines while we struggle. He's not watching at a distance. He hasn't gone uh, to take a commercial break. He's actively involved in our desperate hours and our hard moments. And the psalmist tells us that it's because he's our refuge and our strength during our hard times. Now, the word refuge in Hebrew means shelter from danger. And that gives us a picture of the safe haven that we can flee to anytime our life becomes difficult. How many of you have ever lived in Oklahoma or Kansas or Nebraska? Some place where most of the houses have an underground tornado shelter, don't they? My family lived in Enid, Oklahoma for a year when I was a toddler. And I think we only lived there for a year because my mom swore she would not stay there another minute because that whole year was filled with one tornado after another. And my only memory from that year really is the uh, storm cellar that was in the neighbor's backyard. I actually, I remember almost nothing about the house that we lived in, but I remember a lot about that storm cellar. I remember that it was dark and it smelled funny. On the back wall was this big shelf that was filled with pickles and the um, stairway down into it was pretty creaky and steep. Uh, it was a little bit frightening for a toddler but what was even more frightening to me were the circumstances that we ended up in that storm cellar because it was always during the middle of the night. My sister and I would be asleep and our parents would run in there and yank both of us up and then we would run out the back door through the thunder and the lightning to get to that storm cellar. I don't ever recall how long we stayed in that storm cellar because the second we got in there, my mom would wrap me in a blanket and lay me down on a pallet on the floor. And like all three-year-olds, I would go right back to sleep. And I would wake up the next morning in my bed where the sun was shining and, you know, not give it another thought. I never knew what was going on above the ground. The trees that were breaking, the roofs that were flying off, I was perfectly safe and rested well in that storm cellar. The psalmist picture of God here is exactly that same thing as a refuge and our strength. He is a shelter that you can flee to the second the storm begins. And when you get there, he's simply going to wrap you in that blanket and you are going to be able to lay down on his pallet and rest without even thinking about um, the frightening things that are going on around you. 
Now, I want you to notice that the verb tense that the psalmist uses here is present tense. He says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. He doesn't say, you know, a few weeks ago, God was there for you, or maybe sometime in the future, look around, God will be there. He says, God is, meaning whatever ounce of trouble you're experiencing right now, God is there. God is there. You don't have to even call out for him because the psalmist tells us he is our shelter at that moment from trouble. We also learn that he's our strength. And the Hebrew word here for strength means boldness or might or power. I don't know about you, but have you ever been so frightened by something that your body reacted to it? I get kind of sick at my stomach, you know, when I get really... Um, uh, frightened about something some people kind of get shaky and begin to tremble get weak in their knees it's true that our bodies always respond physically when life is hard when we feel like we're in danger or our family is in danger but as God's people even in the midst of what our bodies have limitations of we can have a supernatural strength when we have fled to that refuge that is God's that he provides for us in his shelter. You know, King David experienced many, many dangerous and hard times, particularly as a young man um, during his life, but he had complete confidence that God was his shelter and would give him strength, that this was his God in his life. Look at Psalm 18 with me. This is David. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I don't think David could have been any more descriptive about his confidence in God. I can't think of another word that he could have possibly used to describe the fact that God is his refuge and his strength. And the psalmist wants us to have the same confidence that David has in God. He wants us to think that God is our rock and our stronghold, our, our refuge, our shield. And we can truly believe the exact same thing about God that David did because the scriptures tell us that God is always with us. Look at Hebrews 13, 5. It wasn't just David's experience, but this is our experience also. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do for me? And then Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And because God truly is all the things that David knows that he is and that the scriptures tell us he is, the psalmist gives us an important therefore. I always love it when you see those therefores in your Bible circle them because an important truth is coming after that therefore. The therefore he gives us is in verse 2 is therefore we will not fear even in the midst of of a disaster like the one he describes here. The psalmist says, the earth is giving ways, the mounds are crumbling, the seas are roaring and rising up. As you can see, he's not describing any small disaster here. He's not saying, I just stumped my toe. What he's saying is the whole world is disappearing 
Therefore, we shall not fear. He uses hyperbole, I believe here, to give us the true extent of God's shelter and protection. You know, even some underground tornado shelters fail in an F5 tornado. If the tornado is powerful enough, there's nothing that will really protect you. But that's not true with God. It does not matter how powerful or overwhelming the disaster is. His shelter will not fail us, even if the whole world is being destroyed. Now, fear is an interesting emotion. And it's a reaction that is often our first response when life is spinning out of control, isn't it? When we hear the word cancer, when we hear the word divorce, when we hear the word you're laid off, there's no paycheck this month. Or even when we turn around in Target and our five-year-old that's been standing right next to us is all of a sudden gone. Don't we just have that instant overwhelming sense of fear and panic? When trouble comes, it's like fear is connected to it just right on its heels. It swoops in and it grips our hearts and our minds. But the psalmist gives us great wisdom with his therefore right here. What he's telling us is if we know God and we have confidence in who God is. Remember our definition of confidence? It's full trust, belief in the powers and reliability. If that's what we have and our relationship with God, then we are going to refuse fear even in the worst of circumstances. Now notice he uses an, an, what is called an imperative verb tense here. He doesn't say, you know, if you really feel like it, don't go with fear. He says you will not. That's an imperative command. He says you will, we will not fear. He teaches us here that uh, fear is something we are going to have to discipline ourselves to refuse. Discipline ourselves to refuse. You know, it takes self-control to stop yourself from being overwhelmed by fear. It's not a natural instinct to have confidence in God. It's a natural instinct to fear. We can do that. We can discipline ourselves to really refuse fear because we have someplace else to go. We have someplace else to go. The only thing that trouble, if the only thing that trouble offers us is fear, we're stuck. But we know that God offers us something else in our trouble. And that is his shelter and his refuge. We have a shelter to flee to, a God who strengthens us. We are not stuck out in the storm with that big dog of fear chasing us round and round. We can refuse fear because God is our very present help in trouble no matter what we are facing. And you know, God is so gracious to us. He understands our human frailty. He understands that fear is oftentimes where we run to first before we run to him. And because of that, he really instructs us over and over and over again in the scriptures to do not fear, to refuse fear. Look back at Isaiah 41 that we just read. Look what it says. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. Um, when, when trouble overtakes us, he doesn't want us to be so confused. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And look at 1 Timothy uh, 1.7 on your verse sheet. It says, For God gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And what that says to me is the fear that I'm feeling in a difficult and hard time has not come from God. It may have come from my circumstances. It may have come from what I see all around me, but it has not come from God. Because what's come from God 
is the fact that he loves me. What's come from God is the power and the self-control to refuse that fear. Our God strengthens us and empowers us in every circumstances. Um, in 1529, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, was actually under a death sentence for posting his 95 theses against the powerful church at, at Rome to the door of the church at Wittenberg. And what we see Luther do is refuse fear and stand on his confidence in God. Um, he chose to write uh, the hymn that's been called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. We sang it this morning, and it completely paraphrases Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, completely paraphrases Psalm 46. In his time of trouble, Luther knew that the confidence that the psalmist expresses in God was absolutely where he needed to stand. And the first verse of his hymn is, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, the holy habitation, the city of God that the psalmist talks about here is the city of Jerusalem where God dwells in the midst of his people in their temple. Uh, it was, there was actually not a literal river that ran through old Jerusalem. The psalmist is simply talking about God's presence here in the temple, which was just like a life-giving stream for God's people, the nation of Israel. And we see this imagery of God as a life-giving river among his people throughout the scriptures. It's not just here in this psalm. Look at Isaiah 33 with me. But the Lord... But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. And Revelation 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God through the middle of the street of the city. You know, what a great picture the psalmist pays paints here for us as a picture of peace and protection. And his insight is, is that because God resides right there in the middle of his people, Israel, they enjoyed supernatural protection, a protection that was not something else anyone experienced. Uh, they enjoyed this supernatural protection from the enemies that surrounded Israel on every single side. And I don't think there's ever been a time in Israel's history when they haven't been completely surrounded by their enemies, including today. When nations gathered around Israel to attack, it was not their big armies or their high walls that protected them. It was the Lord himself that always overthrows Israel's enemy. Here's a great example in Second Chronicles on your verse sheet. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the other ites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Meanwhile, while Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus the Lord says to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. The battle is not yours but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, 
Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Just because of God's presence in the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is safe and God's people are safe. In verse 5, the psalmist says here that Jerusalem will not be moved, meaning Jerusalem is not going to be conquered. It's not going to be overrun. It's not going to be destroyed. And again, it's not because anything Jerusalem itself is doing. It's great armies or high walls. It's simply God's protection in their midst. You know, God's very presence in our lives gives all of us security and safety, even in the midst of the world that's going on around us. Now, those of you that have been part of studying Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah with us know that Jerusalem did fall at one point in time to the Babylonians didn't they? They were overrun and the people of the nation of Israel was carried off. But that was not because God was suddenly less powerful than the Babylonians um, and unable to protect his people. Rather, what happened in that instance is the people of the nation of Israel had decided to take up the idol worship of the nations around them. And they began to practice idol worship where God's presence should have been. And so when they begin to do that, God's presence left, and they immediately were unprotected. Look at Ezekiel 8, 6 on your verse sheet. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. When idolatry begins to take place in Jerusalem, or even in our lives, all of us go unprotected and fall prey to the enemies around us. But when the Lord um, uh, and the armies of heaven reside in Jerusalem, there's no safer place. I love the descriptive language in verse 6. A couple of people talked about it in the leaders' meeting that says simply a word from God causes the earth to melt. And that would seem like extreme hyperbole if you didn't know that in Genesis 1 we see that a word from God creates the entire earth and everything in it. So there's no reason to believe that with one word, God could also not cause the earth to melt. He has the power to destroy nations and kingdoms with that same word. And that's the confidence and protection that the people of Israel could have according to the psalmist. In verse 7, the psalmist calls God their fortress, which is, of course, where Martin Luther got his term fortress. And the original language... Uh, the Hebrew language fortress means a high, safe place, a stronghold. Martin Luther um, uses the, the verse in his hymn, Our helper who amid the flood of mortal ills prevaileth. God is always our helper who amid whatever floods our lives will prevail. You know, in verses 4 through 7, the psalmist is, of course, talking to the nation of Israel, but it's a great picture for us also of what our life looks like when God is at the center of it also. I know all of you could have a great testimony about that, about the times when you were so committed to God that you got up with Him as your first thought every morning and went to bed every night and as, he, as He was your last thought. It's true that when God is at the center of our lives, he's our life giver. He's our perfect protector. He protects our hearts and our minds. He's our high, safe stronghold against anything and everything that we're encountering in our life, large or small. 
You know, and as believers, we can have an even greater confidence than the psalmist does about God's presence and protection in our lives because as our Lord and Savior, He doesn't just reside in downtown Fort Worth, does He? He resides right inside each one of us. Look at Galatians 2.20 on your verse sheet. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? As believers, it's true, we have the Holy Spirit that resides inside of us. So we can have confidence uh, that no matter what happens in our life, we will never lose our salvation. Uh, We can't lose it because of our actions or our attitudes. Once we have accepted Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption, and we can stand on that promise. But just like the nation of Israel... There are times in our life when we can step outside of the protection and provision that God provides when we don't keep God in the center of our lives. You know, every day the world offers to replace God in our lives, doesn't it? Uh, It just calls out to us. And, you know, if you think about Israel, that they always had nations surrounding them that were involved in idol worship, and eventually they were tempted to that, and they reached out and brought those idols into the temple where only God could reside, uh, should reside. We have that same temptation in our world every day, don't we? To reach out and pick up the things that the world offers us um, uh, as our source of happiness, our source of success, um, things that the world offers as our protection. You know, the world entices us every single day. It entices us to not only pick up the things of the world, it tells us that it's totally right for ourselves and our selfish natures to be at the center of our world. Um, But the perfect peace and protection that the psalmist talks about in these verses for Israel um, only comes when we place our confidence in God each and every day. And because we're confident of who he is, we are confident enough to keep him firmly and squarely in the center of our own lives like a life giving river. There's no reason to have confidence in what the world offers, full trust, belief in the powers and um, uh, responsibility, reliability of the world, but there's every reason to have confidence in what God offers us when he is at the center of our lives. Look at Romans 8:31 on your verse sheet. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is the confidence we have in God when he's placed at the center of our lives, that he will graciously give us all things. Okay, let's finish up. Let's read verses 8 through 11 together. Come, behold the works of the Lord, and how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth, and he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In verses 8 and 9, the psalmist does an interesting thing. He invites us to not only look around, but look back through our mind's eye at the great works of the Lord. Now, he's calling Israel to look back in their mind's eye at the great works that the Lord has accomplished on behalf of the nation of Israel and see how over and over and over again through the history of the nation of Israel that God has delivered them from every enemy that's ever opposed them. Even when God had allowed, if Israel were to think back on their history with God a little bit, even when God did allow them to be conquered and overrun because of idolatry, whenever they turn right back to him, what does he do? He comes back to them. He rescues them. He restores them. In fact, most of the time they have a greater prosperity once they turn back than what they ever had before. The psalmist expresses confidence in these verses that it really is God that ends wars, destroys weapons, defeats great armies to deliver his people. And what he does is say, look around and see these things. And we can see those things in our lives too, can't we? We can see when God does mighty works in our lives. Sometimes we don't recognize them, but he's calling us here to look around and to think about that and to have confidence in what we see. Now, in verse 10, the psalmist allows God to speak for himself because he, he writes as if this is spoken from God's very words where he says, Be still and know that I am God. My um, mother-in-law went to be with Jesus five years ago. Um, and verse 10 was actually her favorite verse. Be still and know that I am God. And I always thought that was interesting because she was a woman that was rarely still. I think her middle name was Action. And she raised four kids and helped raise nine grandkids. And she spent 50 years um, really walking side by side with my father-in-law and his very busy business. She was the first one that would always jump in and um, begin working no matter what the situation was. She was amazing and a great example to me. And, and when I discovered years ago that this was the verse that she went back to time and time again, be still and know that I am God, I, it finally dawned on me why that was her verse, even though she was such a woman of action. It was because she was reminding herself she was reminding herself to quit striving and to start trusting. Even though her body was never still, she needed her mind and her heart to be totally invested in who God was, even if her hands were busy, even if her hands were busy. Um, it's an opportunity here to be still and know God. God is calling us to wait on him, maybe not with our hands, but to wait on him with our heart and our mind and to acknowledge how capable he is. It gives us an opportunity to know who's really in control. How many of you walk around thinking you're really in control most of the time? I do. I think, oh man, I've got this. I can control this. You know, Be still and know that I am God is a reminder to all of us as who's really in control. For us to stop striving and to start trusting. 
What does it look like when we're going to do that? I think we have to stop and think. One of your homework questions was, what does it look like when you stop and know that he is God? One of the things it looks like is exactly what you're doing this morning. You know, I know every one of us have busy lives. We could have been doing a million things this morning, couldn't we? We could have been catching up on the laundry. We could have been grocery shopping. We could have been getting ahead at work. Uh, but you're sitting still right here this morning studying the Word of God together. That is an opportunity to stop striving in the world out there and be still and know that He is God. Um, one of, I believe that it's really impossible to know the power and character and love of God if you don't really know what He says in here about Him. If you think about it in today's vernacular, this is God's Facebook page. This is it right here. He's put every picture of himself in this book. Uh, he's described himself. He's given all his favorite activities. He's given the people he loves. He's given what he's going to do in the future. He's told us what he's going to do in the past. It's all right here. It's impossible to truly know God if you don't know God's word. Um, Another way we can really begin to be still and know uh, who God is is with quality time. Uh, how many of your love languages quality time? I have a couple of kids whose love language is quality time. One of them would call me from college and begin to talk to me. And, and all of a sudden he would say, Mom, what are you doing? And I would say, well, I'm un unloading the dishwasher. And he would say, well, I'll call you back later. Um, he was such a quality time person that if I was on the phone with him, I was supposed to be sitting and just talking to him. I could not unload the dishwasher, and he knew it. God's love language is also quality time. He knows it when we're doing what Melody was talking about uh, this morning, when we're on our face in prayer, but we're really making our grocery list. Uh, we get to know God the same way we get to know others in our life, and we don't have a deep relationship with anyone that we don't spend quality time with. Sitting with God every day in prayer and Bible study and meditation on his word is what's going to draw us into a place where we have complete confidence in God because we cease striving and we start trusting because of who he is. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13 on your verse sheet. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God's love language is quality time. Now, the very last verse of Psalm 46 actually repeats uh, what the psalmist says in verse 7, where he says, um, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, the Lord of hosts refers here to the truth that God is the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. The commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. Can you even imagine how big the armies of heaven are? Can you even imagine? And the fact that with a thought or a word, he commands them. That's how the psalmist wants us to remember our confidence in God. He is our stronghold and our place of safety in all circumstances because of who he is, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven. The psalmist's confidence in God is actually, this psalm is what inspired Martin Luther to place his confidence in God as well. And Martin Luther, if you remember from what we sung today, ends his uh, hymn with the verse that says, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You know, both Martin Luther and certainly our psalmist here 
are examples of men who have made the choice to place their confidence in God no matter what their circumstance. And you know, confidence in God, I have discovered, is not just a warm feeling that I'm going to wake up with some morning um, when I've arrived in some spiritual uh, world. Confidence in God is a choice that all of us have to make every day in every circumstance. When we hear the word cancer, divorce, no heartbeat, no money. It's a choice that we're called on to make. And gratefully, the psalmist here gives us a great roadmap and what that choice looks like. It's that That's the choice we're making when we know the truth of who God is and we recognize it in our life. He's our refuge, our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. That's a choice we're making when we recognize that. We're choosing confidence in God when we discipline ourselves to refuse fear when trouble comes into our life, when we refuse fear. It's the choice of confidence in God we're making when we put God firmly in the center of our lives every single day. There's so many things that call us to have confidence in them in the world, but only God is the choice that will really make our lives different. And we're choosing confidence in God when we stop trying to control everything around us and we begin to tr just rest in the knowledge of who God is. You know, two weeks ago, and most of you know this story, on a Monday morning I rushed uh, to Cook's Children's Hospital to be with my kids because they had just raised um, my sweet little grandson, two-year-old Aaron, to the emergency room with complete heart failure. And his heart stopped after they got there. And when I got there, um, the staff ushered me into that little room where they only take the family when they're going to tell them the worst possible news. And my kids waited there to hear whether the doctors were going to be able to do anything to restart Aaron's um, heart. And when I walked into that room and I grabbed him and we began to weep together, um, it was crystal clear in my mind that that morning we had a choice and I'm so grateful that God had prepared me for that because our choice at that moment was to fear or it was to claim complete confidence in our God. And the only thing that came to my blank mind at that moment as I wept with them was Psalm 46. And I am grateful that the first words I said to them were, God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in time of trouble. And we are not going to fear, though we have heard the worst of news. Confidence in God is a choice that we're called on to make. And I'm grateful that God has given us Psalm 46 to encourage us in that choice. Pray with me. Father, it's true, you're every, everything that the psalmist has told us that you are. And we can be still and rest in that. And Father, I just pray for each of us this morning that our hearts would be uh, fully and completely committed to that word of truth. Father, I know that um, many of us in the room have hard circumstances in our life and that fear uh, is on the heels of that always. Lord, I pray that you would give us all um, the power and the strength and the love and the self-control to refuse fear and to simply rest in the shelter that you offer us, that you would be our refuge and our strength in a very present time of trouble in all of our lives. 
Father, I thank you for these women. I thank you for their willingness to be here this morning. I ask for safety and protection as we all go home uh, today. And I pray that your words would dwell richly in all of our hearts. I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks, ladies. Thank you, Shelley. What great encouragement this morning. Um, I have one quick announcement. Um, Christ Chapel is sponsoring a Choose Life uh, 5K. It is on March 1st. There was a flyer that looked like this on all of your tables. Um, if you didn't grab one, we have extra ones at the information desk. But all uh, funds will be donated to faith-based pregnancy resource centers. Um, and if you would like more information, it is on here, or you can go to their website as well. It is on this uh, flyer. So have a great afternoon, and please be safe and careful going home.